Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. You know, I'm thinking about Adam's jokes. The only applause he gets is when they're finally over with, okay? We were over at the escalator. He goes, you know, that men and women's joke, that didn't work. Can you, can you give me something new? And I go, it has never worked out well for you when we're writing material here at the top of the escalator. Just do the announcements. But um, today we are celebrating the greatest day, I mean, in history. I mean, if what took place 2,000 years ago actually took place, and we here at this church believe it did, then what happened in that tomb changed the very fabric of the universe forever. And when we're talking about our faith and we're talking about Christianity, what's so interesting is that so many Christians, so many people, believe that the foundation of Christianity is the Bible. And it's not. The foundation of Christianity is an event. It's the resurrection. It's Easter. It's what we are here today celebrating. Because the reality is this. If the resurrection didn't happen, then everything in the Old Testament, everything in the New Testament, all of Jesus' teachings, all of it would be for naught. Because it all hinges on Jesus' resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection. So, I was thinking this week about our faith, and I was thinking about Christianity, and it's all that goes with it. And it's amazing when you come to realize that there actually is a God. And he's up there, he's watching us right now, that he loved us so much that he sent his son to this earth, that Jesus walked the earth with us, taught us, educated us, and died on the cross for us. And when it comes to the resurrection, there's just... You know, there's only one word that comes to my mind. There's so much mystery involved with it. We don't fully understand it. But with our faith, there's just so much mystery involved. That's amazing. But there's one thing that we've yet to totally understand. And theologians have talked about this mystery that exists during Easter. And, and I, you know, when I was in seminary, we talked about this. And I, I searched the scriptures. And the answer isn't there that I can find. But for some reason, and we don't know why, every Easter... We're just not sure why people are still eating peeps, okay? What is it with the peeps? What is it with the peeps, okay? And I was looking at this package this week, and I noticed that it said, it's always gluten-free. Oh, that's great. Perfect. I mean, you might go into a diabetic coma, but there's no gluten. God forbid, like anybody has gluten these days, all right? And I don't know if you've ever had a peep. Let me just describe what a peep is like for you if you've never had the pleasure of stuffing one of these in your mouth, all right? Picture, if you will, a used Kleenex, okay? Now, if you're from the Northeast, imagine like you've got that winter cold and you've really just saturated that Kleenex nicely. You know what I'm talking about. Now you've dropped that Kleenex into the sand. Okay, now pick that back up and shove that in your mouth. That's a, that's a peep, all right? It's mushy and it's gritty and it's absolutely disgusting. Now, and we give these to kids, not at this church, we don't do that, but we give these to kids. And if you're a kid in the room and maybe the Easter Bunny, you know, brought a peep to your house, let me just, let me give you a piece of advice. Take this from Uncle John over here, okay? Here's what you do. You throw it in the trash, Okay. <laughs> Just pivot, you know, pitch it right into the bin. Don't even go down that road in life. Because once you take that bite, you really start questioning your own existence as to why are you doing these things to yourself. But this is what we do in Easter. This is, this is, this is Easter for us, these peeps. And I was thinking the other thing about Easter we do is we, we really reflect back on the life of Jesus. And I hate to say that we reflect back on his life because he's still alive. But we reflect back on his earthly ministry. And so just do this if you would. Imagine that you could go back in time. Just you go back 2,000 years and you were able to follow Jesus live and direct. 
This whole last series, we were talking about this idea that wherever Jesus went, crowds followed him. And people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, wanted to be in his company, couldn't wait to hear what he was saying, would sit at his feet, would hang on every single word. Imagine you were in that crowd. Imagine that you actually got to see a miracle with your own eyes. I think as Christians, we read the Bible and we read about Jesus' miracles and we just go right past it. We don't think much about them. Or a lot of us as Christians kind of struggle with miracles. We're not sure if they really happen. But imagine you actually got to see one with your eyes. You saw Jesus turn water into wine. You saw Jesus heal leprosy right in front of you. What would that be like? Imagine you were there for Holy Week, that you were in Jerusalem when Jesus came riding in on a donkey. That part was a little unusual, but it was an amazing sight. And people were cheering and yelling, Hosanna, whatever that means. And they were putting palm branches in front of his donkey as he walked in. And it was incredible because if you were a Jewish person that time and you were happy about Jesus, you believed that he was your coming king. And you believed that he was coming into Jerusalem to finally set you free from the Romans. And life was great and you were happy. And then Good Friday happened. And you saw Jesus hanging on a cross, dead. And nothing prepared you for that. And even though he told us it was going to happen, I don't know if we didn't pay attention, I don't know if we missed it, I don't know if we didn't understand, but when we saw him hanging on that cross, it was over. Because a, a dead Messiah, for a Jewish person, was no Messiah at all. And you had given up everything, really, to follow him. Maybe you left your family to follow him around. Maybe your family kicked you out because you said yes to Jesus. You certainly risked your own life following him. And, and, and now it's over. It's done. You had a good run. But imagine you were there on Sunday morning. And you were there to see the tomb. Now, we weren't there, but we do have firsthand eyewitness accounts. And that's where I want to start today. We're going to be in the book of John as he kind of begins to talk to us about what happened that Sunday morning. It says this, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, the one whom Jesus loved. Do you know who this person is? Do you know what his name is? It's John. Yeah, it's the guy who wrote the book, okay? He's just kind of like, he's like, hey, just, you know, I want to make sure we're accurate in the account of what happened here at the, at the resurrection. Um, I'm the one, just so you're aware, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Uh, he loves you, sure, right, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you know. He continues. Peter and the other disciple, who we now know is John, started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran, P outran Peter and reach the tomb first. Thank you, John. So it's kind of like, hey, just because these are important details for every Christian to know in the upcoming future. Jesus loves me, and I'm really fast. <laughs> these are the kind of things that if you were to write a gospel of Jesus, you could include in here, okay? This is just, these are important details. He continues. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter finally arrived and went inside, and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had been covering Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. He continues. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. It's this kind of line that when we're reading these accounts, we just kind of breeze right past. 
But I actually think this is really an important line here. It, it says that John saw and he believed. Which means that before he saw, he didn't believe. This disciple whom Jesus loved, this disciple who walked with Jesus for three years, saw Jesus teach, saw Jesus do miracles, he didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be until he saw the empty tomb and he believed. And what's interesting is that, you know, we think of Jesus' disciples as these powerhouses of faith. And they were after the resurrection. But, but, but prior to that, they were, they were like so many of us where we, you know, we, we look at Jesus and we, and we say, yeah, he's definitely somebody. I'm not sure exactly who he is. I want to believe these things, but I, I, I just don't know. But in this moment, when John peered into that tomb, he had what we at this church like to call a defining moment. And if you haven't been here before, let me talk to you about what a defining moment is. A defining moment is this time in your life when you come face to face with the truth. And it could happen multiple times in your life. And you come face to face with this truth. And this defining moment invites you to make a change. Sometimes it demands that you make a decision. Will you, with this truth, go a new way? Or will you slink back and just live life as you've always lived. Now, when John finally saw and he believed, his life was changed forever. And what I want to do for you today is I just want to just talk about three things that I believe that we would have learned if we were there that day peering into the open tomb. And my hope is that I can remind you, perhaps maybe even for the first time, of the power that was unleashed that very first Easter. So the first thing that we learned if we were to peer into that tomb is that God's love is unconditional. So unconditional love is a difficult sort of concept, I think, for humans to sort of understand because so many of our relationships are transactional in nature, kind of quid pro quo, I do this, you do that. You know, we all have jobs, most of us, and we go to work and we do what's expected of us, and then our employer hands us a paycheck, transactional. Go to a restaurant, they serve you. You tip them at the end, hopefully 20% in this church, okay? Transactional. Even our marriages, if we're being honest, you may have, now of course it's no one in this room, but you may have heard someone in some other marriage once utter the phrases like, you know, I, I give and I give and I give and I give and I'm just getting nothing back in return. That's transactional. It's a sign that your marriage might need a little bit of work, but that's transactional. And the point I'm showing here is that we as humans so easily revert back to transaction. Because when we're talking about human love, you have to understand that human love is very fickle. Human love is fickle. It is impacted by so many outside variables. Are, are you stressed? Are you tired? Maybe you're hungry. You've been around a person who's hungry, okay? You know, is your boss mad? Are your parents mad? Is your teacher mad? Is your spouse mad? What did I do to make them mad? What can I do to fix this? How do I make them like me again? And this is our whole life. We're just always going through all these permutations of how to make these love and these relationships work better. And what begins to happen is that we start projecting this concept of love onto God. And we start thinking about God as angry boss. We start thinking of God as, as maybe your principal. 
Maybe you think of God as, as your dad who, you know, you never had a really good relationship with. Or you think of God as your mom who you could just never seem to, to please. But Paul speaks about God's unconditional love. And he says this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we had nothing to offer God, Christ died for us sinners. I think we read this, and this idea about being powerless and we're sort of like, is that really the right time? I mean, is being powerless really the right time? Because for so many of us, when our lives are a mess, when things aren't going as well as we want them to go, when things are a little rocky, what we tend to do is we hide from church and we hide from God because we don't want anybody to see what's going on here. But when things are a mess, that's when God wants you the most. And if you're a person who's been conditioned to sort of hide from Christians when your life is not going that great because you're afraid of being judged, I get that. I get that. And if that's been your experience, I want to apologize on behalf of the local church because as we've learned in our whole previous series, Jesus never instructed his followers to condemn or judge any single person. But if you are someone in this room whose life's, you know, kind of a mess right now, let me just say something. And if you hear nothing else today, maybe this might make you feel better. All of our lives are messed up. I mean, at some level, every single one of us is messed up. The difference is a lot of us are pretty good at hiding it. That, that's just it. We're just really good at hiding it. But Paul takes this idea of God's unconditional love a step further. He says this. But God demonstrated his own love, this unconditional love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No conditions. Christ died. Jesus didn't wait to go to the cross. He didn't wait for you to become perfect. He didn't wait for you to, you know, fix everything in your life. He didn't wait for you to, you know, perfectly accomplish some list of rules and regulations. Jesus died the most painful death known to man while you were still sinners. And you know what this tells me? This tells me that there is nothing we could do to make God love us more. And there is nothing we could do to make God love us less. God loves us because of who he is, not who we are. Not who we are. His love is unconditional. Jesus was always going to come. The tomb, the stone, was always going to be rolled away. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. See, if we were to peer into that tomb that day, we would learn something else. We would learn that God's power is bigger than our problems. So most people have problems. Now as Americans, if we're just being honest with ourselves, most of our problems are first world problems. Familiar with this term? Let me, let me give you a couple of my first world problems because you know, maybe you can relate to sort of the things that I go through on a daily basis. One of, the, one of the ones that I struggle with is this. You know when you text somebody and they call you back? What is that? Okay, if I, wanted to, if I wanted to talk to you on the phone, all right, I would have gone back to 1998. I'm not interested in talking to you on the phone. I, all the time with Adam, the guy who did the announcements here, you'll, call, you know, you'll text him and he calls you back. Hey, I'm in the car, I couldn't text. Well, then wait, okay? I'm not interested in talking to you on the phone. Here's another one. 
Online shopping, great Amazon. It's not the greatest thing that's ever happened to you in your life. I mean, it's literally revolutionized my entire life. Online shopping is the best. However, I cannot handle when you've got to pay for shipping. What is that about? Okay, I'd re- listen, I'd rather pay $30 with free shipping than $25 and $5 shipping. Not, I don't want it. And you know you are the exact same way. Okay, I can't handle that. Give it to me free. I know I'm paying for it, but I don't want to know. But the biggest struggle of my life, and this happens pretty much three to four times a week, the biggest struggle is when we lose the TV remote, okay? And inevitably, it's always the Apple TV remote because that thing is like this big and this thin. And you may know this to be the case, but when you lose, okay, when you lose the remote, all trust is gone. All trust is gone. Whoever's there on the couch with you, your spouse, your parent, your grandmother, it's kind of like, hey, are you, are you guys sitting on the, uh, the remote? No. Get up. Stand up. Every single, grandma, you too, up, you know, inevitably it's like, oh, sorry, it was, it's right here. Uh, it's my fault. Okay. It's, it was right here all the time. But at some point, regardless of the first world problems, you will have some real problems. I mean, we all, we all do. It's the, it's the reality of the world that we live in. And on that Good Friday, Jesus had, he had some real problems. He was tortured. They pushed a crown of thorns onto his head. They nailed him to a cross, and while he was hanging there, he saw his persecutors, he saw the, the soldiers literally gambling for his clothing. Other than his mother and John, the guy who wrote the gospel, all of his friends just left him there. And the scripture says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last and then he died. The end. Had a good run. I mean, I think we can all agree that being dead is a big problem. It's a big problem, particularly if you are somebody who has told the world that you are the son of God. It is a big problem if you are somebody who has told the world that you are a Messiah, because as we mentioned, a dead Messiah is no Messiah at all. So this is a problem for every single person. But when we're talking about death here, here's what you have to understand. Overcoming death is not a problem for the author of life. This week, I think it was like Tuesday, I wrote this slide and I called up Adam and I go, Adam, I just wrote the most churchiest thing I've ever written in my life. (laughs) And he's like, it's Easter, go ahead, you gotta give the people what they want. But this is true, okay? Overcoming death is not a problem for the creator of the universe. See, I don't think we realize that Jesus was actually there in the beginning. Jesus was actually there when the universe was created. So coming back from the grave is not a problem. Scripture says that death is the last great enemy. I think it's a great line. And that day on the cross, that day in the tomb, Jesus finally conquered death. Which should encourage us. Because no matter what we're going through, however bad our problems may be, They pale in comparison to conquering death. You see, for every single one of us, we may right now be dealing with a death. And it might be a death of a dream or a career. Maybe it's a relationship and a marriage, you know. Maybe you've actually lost a loved one. Maybe maybe you're suffering with a death of hope itself. And you're at a place in your life where it's just, it just seems out of control. And things just seem to get worse and worse and worse. And you're just trying to do the right thing. And life is just 
hitting you and hitting you and it keeps piling up and you don't understand and you get to a place where you're saying, God, have you abandoned me? Maybe you wonder, is God even aware? Is he even aware of what I'm going through right now? Yeah, he is. Every single detail. In Psalm 139, the author speaks directly to this this question of whether God knows what's going on in your life. Take a look at what he said. He said, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born. And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You know why I love this so much? Because when life gets tough, when I just keep getting knocked down and I don't understand what's going on at all, this verse tells me that your life may be out of your control, but it's not out of his. You may be surprised at what is going on, but God is not surprised at all. This tells me that God has known about your issue and your life at 11.14 on Easter since before you were born. And I can make a pretty strong argument that God knew about your life and your problems since the creation of the universe. Psalm 139, which is amazing, and and if you go back and you read anything today, I would encourage you to go read Psalm 139. But it ends with a profound and simple request. He said, Lord, lead me along the path of everlasting life. He understood that whatever he or we are currently going through, it's not over yet. That that God is still writing a bigger story in every single one of our lives. Which leads me to the last thing I believe that we would learn if we were there that first Easter morning. And it's that God's future is better than our past. So once the cross happened, Jesus' disciples were just, I mean, honestly, they were destroyed. They were absolutely devastated. They, they, scripture talks about the fact that they just kind of went back to their old lives. They just started to go do their old jobs because for them, it was kind of like that was it. The, the greatest days are behind them. They thought something amazing was going to happen, and it didn't. And, and, and for us, I feel like when we're going through tough times, when things are dark, it's hard for us to conceive that something better could be coming down the road. So prior to the cross, Jesus prepared his disciples for what kind of was going to come. He wanted to get them ready. He didn't want them to just see it and not be prepared. So he went to the guys and he goes, all right, pretty soon I'm leaving. Pretty soon I got to go back to the Father and it's going to get really dark for you. And he said, in this world, you will have problems. In this world, you will have problems and you will have sorrows, but I have overcome the world. And he wanted to leave them with something, just just to look forward to. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's actually a command. Don't, Don't allow yourself to worry. Don't allow yourself to be scared. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. He's talking about 
heaven here. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He's saying, boys, pretty soon, you're going to see an empty tomb. And when you do, you need to understand that that is a sign that there's going to be a better future. And I don't know what any of you are going through right now. I don't know what life has served up for you. I don't know what the struggles are for you. But God has some truth about your future. Paul, who's an author in the New Testament, writes this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through right now, God has a better future for you. If you look at your life and, and you look at your greatest hits, maybe that for you that's a, a marriage or children or career success or travel, whatever that may be, you take all the greatest stuff that's happened in your life and you make a greatest hits album. That isn't even a fraction of the good that God has prepared for you. Paul is saying it is so amazing that the human mind can't even conceive of it. And this better future is available to every single person in this room, watching online, and in this world. Scripture says, all you got to do is you got to accept God's unconditional love. That love that's so foreign for us, he goes, all, all, all you have to do is just say yes. That's all you got to do. Here's why this is so important. Here's why it's so important that we have to accept God's unconditional love. Let me ask you a question. Are there any Probably not, but are there any sinners in the room? I don't think so. My one buddy's over on the west coast of Florida, so I think we're good for the day. But just in case he's watching, it's just in case he's tuning in, let me say a couple of things about sin. Just as a foundation, all right? Sin separates us from God, okay? Sin breaks off communication between humans and God. Sin, if you will, throws sand into the gears of life. But there's a lot of confusion as to what sin actually is. Because we live in a world that believes it's up to humans to decide what is and is not sin. Very frequently in conversation or, or on TV, I will hear people say things like, well, I don't agree that that's a sin, whatever that is. I, 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 just, I just don't think that such and such is a sin, whatever that sin may be. And I hear this, and I never say this out loud. I'm thinking it, and maybe I should start saying it out loud. But when someone says to me, I don't agree that that's a sin, I want to say, well, that's great, but God didn't ask your opinion. And that's a little rough. That's probably why I don't say that out loud. But this is the truth. I mean, it, it would be like me saying, well, I don't agree with gravity. And you'd be like, John, I don't think you understand how gravity works, okay? Well, I don't think you understand how sin works. It's not for us to have an opinion about it. There is an actual definition of sin. When, when you see the word sin in the Bible, there is an actual definition of that. So let's all get on the same page so we understand what we're talking about. So we're all speaking the same language. When you see the word sin in the Bible, the original definition means to miss the mark. It's, it's a word picture, if you will, okay, of a bow and arrow. And, and this mark is a target. And it's this idea that God has an ideal for what he wants in this world, for what he wants in your life. And when we as humans pull back our arrow and fire it, we miss the mark. 
with our behaviors, with our attitudes, with our actions. And this standard, this mark, this target is not up for discussion. This is just straight from God. Before we move on, I think it's important that today we talk about that one sin. Because we all have that one sin. It's that one sin that we're kind of like, well, yeah, there's other sins. Not a problem. But, but this one, this one's not a sin. I, 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 just, I just don't agree. This one, whatever it is, and it's different for every single person, but we all have that one sin. This one's not a sin. Okay. Just because we're friends here for argument's sake. Let's just take that one sin, whatever it is, because in your mind right now, you know the one that you're thinking about. Let's say you're right. Let's say this one sin that the Bible calls a sin is not a sin. Maybe, maybe the author got it wrong. Maybe it's a translational issue. Maybe back in, you know, 1 AD, this was culturally a sin, but now that it's 2019, this thing is not a sin anymore. Let's just say you're right. This one sin aside... I can make you a promise. You got other sin in your life. You have other sin in your life. And the reason I know this is because Paul says that for everyone has sinned, every single person, sorry, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, the mark, the standard of what God wants for this world and our life. No one is free of sin. And this sin has a massive impact on our lives. He continues, he says, for the wages, the payment of sin is death. The outcome of sin is death. The, the consequences of sin is death. The transaction, if you will, sin, death. What he's saying here is that sin kills things. Sin kills things. And you know this to be the case. You have seen this perhaps in your life or the lives of your friends and family. You have seen sin destroy people's finances. You have seen sin destroy families. You have seen sin in the form of addiction just rip apart lives or destroy self-esteem. Sin brought physical death into this world. Death that God never wanted to happen. God always wanted humankind to live forever with him, but sin wrecked that. But he had a fix. And he continues, he said, but the free gift of God, that unconditional love, that's eternal life. And it comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, what Paul is saying here is that sin brought death and Jesus brought life. That sin tears apart families and lives and Jesus repairs it. That sin separated us from God. But Christ's death on that cross and resurrection from that tomb brings us back together. All throughout the Old Testament, for what could be thousands of years, God prepared the world for Jesus to come. He didn't just send his son with no warning. He prepared the world. And as you go back and you read every single book in the Old Testament, you will see prophecies and patterns and breadcrumbs that le left behind that prepare us for the understanding that a Messiah was going to come. Jesus, similarly, 
wanted to prepare the world for the upcoming resurrection. Two weeks before he was nailed to that cross. Two weeks before he was put into that tomb. Two weeks before the stone was rolled across, across the opening. Jesus did something amazing. He wanted to prepare our hearts for what we would be seeing in 14 short days. And he did it during the most painful time in someone else's life. Jesus had a very close family friend named Lazarus. Very close family friend. And Lazarus was sick. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, knew that only Jesus could help. And they wrote a letter saying, Jesus, we need you. And they gave it to a messenger, and the, the messenger ran to find Jesus. He was a couple of days away. And by the time Jesus got that letter, it was too late. Lazarus died. And one of the strangest parts of the whole account is that when Jesus saw that they needed him, he actually waited another day. But he wanted to do something amazing. He finally made his way back to the town, and he was greeted by Martha and Mary, and they were just devastated. I mean, their brother had been dead now for four days, and not only were they devastated because of loss, they were angry with Jesus. Jesus, we prayed for you to come. We asked you to save him, and you didn't show up. And Jesus looked at them with just all, all the heartbreak in their lives. He looked at them, and he said something amazing. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And he looked at Martha and he said, do you believe this? And the scripture talks about how just with tears in her eyes, she said, I have always believed that you were the Messiah. Now, she had no idea what Jesus was about to do. But with that confession of faith, Jesus walked to the tomb and said, roll the stone aside. And in a loud voice, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man who was now alive came out. His hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. He was alive. It's the most amazing thing these people have ever seen. And the story ends by saying that many people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Just as John believed when he saw See, in this moment, Jesus had prepared the world for the power of an empty tomb. What he was showing the world is that the tomb, the grave, is no longer a place of pain. It is a place of hope. And Mary and Martha and the crowd with them, just as John had had, they had a defining moment. Their lives were changed forever. When they peered into that empty tomb, it had solidified for them that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, and they saw the power available in him.
My prayer for you today is that every single one of you would have a defining moment. That if you're a Christian in the room, that, that today you would remember what Jesus did for you on that cross. That you would remember the power that is available to you through your Savior. That you would remember everything that he has done in your life. That you are who you are and where you are and have what you have because of Jesus Christ. But for those of you who, you know, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, maybe you have no faith, maybe you're kind of like the disciples prior to the tomb. Maybe you believe that Jesus is somebody, but you're not there yet, although you want to be, maybe. My prayer is that today, Easter 2019, would be a defining moment for you. That something would click and your life would change forever. I want to end by reading what I believe to be the most famous line in all of Scripture, a line that perfectly captures why Jesus came to this earth. It's John 3, 16, and it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let me pray for you.